What's good, Footy Culture fam? My name is Matthews, aka Matt, aka Matozinho. Today, people, today, we got a very special episode of the Footy Culture podcast. Before, before we get to our guest, once again, I'm joined today by Jay. What's good, guys? Welcome back. Sir, welcome, welcome. We got a man like Jimmy. What's going on? What up, what up? And man like Dan. How's it going, everyone? We're back in the studio. Yes, sir. And very special guest, Caroline Salemi. What is going on? What's up, guys? I'm good. How are you? Thank you for having me. No problem. Thank you for coming on. But yeah, we'll get right into it. First off, we want to know how you fell in love with the game. How were you introduced to Ooh. footy? Great question. So growing up, uh, when I was very, very young, I was in gymnastics. And then one day I just didn't like it anymore and I quit. And my parents said, no problem, but you have to be in a sport one way or another because i had so much energy that they were like you need to you need to get it out of your system mm -hmm. so at the time my dad was training for marathons and okay. i'm so close with my dad and everywhere he went i went and one day he went to go train for one of like his his he had a hard running day and he did some laps around the track so i went with him and inside the track was a soccer field football field mm -hmm. and there was a game going on. This was the first time I was ever exposed to the sport. And I sat there and I watched for two hours and I was like, wow, what is this? It was honestly love at first sight. Awesome. And I, my dad's a massive football fan. So he, I asked him all about it on the car ride home. And I, I said, when I got home, I said, you have to put me in, in football. And I was 10 years old and I started playing when I was 10. And then by the time I was 14, I was on the provincial team. So it was love at full sight, first sight. And also, I always say it was meant to be because within a short four-year period of time, um, you know, I progressed really quickly. So it was just this, yeah, it was this beautiful relationship, you could say. I was about to say, like, that's super quick. You started playing at 10 and then on the provincial team at 14. Wow. That's natural talent, right? <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. You you guys are too kind but honestly it was wild because i will never forget my first house league game my coach said you know caroline go play defense and i said to him i said what's defense i had no idea about anything i was completely unprepared uh but it's it's so it's sweet when i look back on it because i nothing was forced my parents are these incredible parents that never really forced me into soccer or anything like that it just happened so naturally and Four years later, I was on the provincial team. And two years later, I went to the U-17 World Cup. And then, you know, by the time I'm 17, I'm I'm playing in the U.S. Division I collegiate soccer. So it, it happened very, very quickly. Uh, all at once, I was very, very obsessed with the sport, fully immersed. I watched every game, every team, knew about every player, uh, just everything about it. It was just kind of the best part of my uh, th that chapter of my life was so was so beautiful and it was it was so rewarding and then it ended due to injury but what can you do that happens at times but yeah that's how i fell in love with it and it does it does and you know i also chalk that up to destiny right like i think that things happen for a reason and if it wasn't for that injury i wouldn't be I wouldn't have had other experiences in my life like I did at Sportsnet and being on television and now doing what I do. So the obstacles are detours in the right direction. So even though that was gutting because it was a career ending injury for me right before I was going to go into national camps and my last ever year in collegiate 
soccer, it, it, it also taught me a lot of lessons and I grew a lot as an individual. So it taught me perspective. And I think that that's probably one of the most valuable things you can get in this life is perspective. So I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't go back and change anything. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was, it was so nice. It was so nice the way I trans transitioned into football and it's the best sport in the world. I'll tell you that much. hundred percent. That's amazing. I feel like we all get introduced to the game in so many different ways. Like for some people, it's by playing. For some, it's by watching on TV with their dad, with their grandparents. And I see you're fully decked out in <laughs> AC Milan. So how did the passion for Milan come about? Ooh, I mean, I don't know when that exactly started. But I do know, again, when I was growing up, and we we talked a little bit about on Kicked Back with, uh, with you guys, is that... Serie A growing up for me was the top league and there was just something about Serie A that was unlike any other league and I just could never stop watching it and I think it had to have been one of the first times I watched AC Milan and Kaká made me fall in love with the game and Crespo and Shevchenko and Maldini and Nesta and Gattuso I mean man we don't talk about Gattuso enough that guy just side. ate dirt for everyone oh he's we need to give Gattuso a nod, just Seydorf. You know, it was just Dita. The guys on this team, when you watch them play, they were so freaking good. And it was such an iconic team. But primarily Kaká, Shevchenko, and Crespo, those three, I'm pretty sure they were my MSN name at some point in time. Like <laughs> the, the fangirl in me ran deep. Uh, but AC Milan, it, it had to have happened maybe around 12, 14. Because I do know that when I went into... The provincial team, uh, Team Ontario at the time, quote unquote, was sponsored by Everton. Like we had all of like all of our Ontario kids really? had the Everton That's logo cool. on it. Yep. But I would I would always walk into training with my AC Milan scarf and like fully <laughs> decked out like I was on the team or something. And when I would go into the locker room, I would because I'm crazy. I would hang out my AC Milan scarf on the wall. No so way. it was never to be like thrown to the side or thrown with my jacket. It was hanging nicely. And I remember my national team coach at the time was like, you can't do that. We're sponsored by Everton. I'm like, yeah, but it's AC Milan. So I'm going to do it. Yeah. You gotta uh, so your yeah, team, right? it just happened always, <laughs> always. So it was just so funny. I mean, it, it started probably around 12, 14 and, and it's stayed in me since. Awesome. No, the passion is clearly evident because I think I saw on your Twitter, it was like your yearbook quote. It said biggest pet peeve, Liverpool. <laughs> so you were like fully locked in, like the Champions League rivalry at the time. Like, is that why you hated Liverpool? Obviously, because of like that comeback per se. Oh, my goodness, guys. Yes. And my dad's the biggest Liverpool fan. So, no you know, way. my household at the time was crazy. Yeah. And I'll never forget it. I'll share this story on this podcast. OK, so I took the day off of school on that day. My my the best again, I have the best parents. I'm like, this is a massive game. And uh, I remember watching the first 45 minutes. AC Milan scored three goals. And I call my dad at half and I said, because he's at work. I said, you're going to want to look at the score <laughs> and your team, your team is just terrible. Like I'm going in. And he, he, he told me before the game, he's like, don't tell me the score. I'm going to watch it when I come home. But I just couldn't hold back. Cause I'm like, so you three in a Champions League final. Oh, and not only did I spoil it, I just went in. 
like, and, and, in like the most respectful way, of course, my dad and I, you know, we were the best football buddies. Uh, and then I also ordered McDonald's. I'll never forget that. Cause I'm like chilling. I'm like, I'm going to get my big Mac. I'm going to enjoy this next 45 minutes. And then I'm going to watch my team win the champions league. Right. That second half, I've never felt anxiety brewing. And at that point in time, I guess my dad, my dad had tuned into the radio. So he was getting updates from like the second half. And Mm -hmm. he started calling me after goal one, after goal two, after goal three. And he was cracking up laughing. He's like, you never speak too soon. You never walk alone. All of these things, right? And I'm like, oh my goodness, my life's over. And then, you know, of course, penalties come. I'm pretty sure Shevchenko missed one, if I remember correctly, which I was shocked because Shevchenko doesn't miss. And Jerzy Dudek was in net for, uh, at the time for Liverpool, which is a Polish goalkeeper, and I'm Polish. So mm-hmm. that was extra salt on the wound. And Liverpool won. And from that day, you know, Liverpool fans don't understand me, but... <laughs> I think it's because my dad and I are such diehard fans from each, like on each side of the fence that I could just never cheer for Liverpool. And that day for me has been such a staple in my mind. It's such a core memory of how Liverpool made (laughs) me feel as as an AC Milan fan, like trauma that, um, yeah, that's why I probably wrote that in my high school yearbook that my pet peeve is Liverpool. You know, all the normal kids wrote like... (laughs) Just normal things that are pet peeves. Live, laugh, love. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When people chew their gum too loud, or when sometimes people walk too slow, yeah. those are normal pet peeves. Mine was Liverpool. That's why. And yep, I can tell you, it's 2023, and I still have not gotten over it. So that's the story. <laughs> that's a great story. It's funny though, because your dad—you said your dad's a Liverpool fan, right? Yes, yes. Has he has he tried swaying you into becoming a fan like early on before you started supporting Milan? No, 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 no. And I, you know what? We like that we kind of bud heads because mm-hmm. it makes match day fun. Uh, he never tried to to get me on the Liverpool train, but he did try to get me because he also loves Barcelona. He did oh, try to get me on the Barcelona man. train. Yeah. <laughs> So I uh, I said no. I love I love Real Madrid, and it's just this ongoing joke throughout my whole life that my dad and I are always on opposite sides, which makes it fun. Uh, so yeah, no, he's a massive Liverpool fan, massive Jurgen Klopp fan, and just yeah, my football buddy. <laughs> yeah, you gotta love like a nice, like heated, respectful rivalry like that, right? Oh, it makes it interesting. You don't all like, I mean, of course, I'm sure it's great when everyone in the house cheers for the same club, but when you don't, it also makes things interesting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you mentioned you uh, 17. How did that happen? You getting called up to the squad? Do you remember where you were when the call took place? Oh, uh, great question, actually. Uh, I remember, I remember when I made the provincial team and I don't remember exactly how it worked out with the national team. I just believe that there was a roster made and I, I'd known that I made that roster. Uh, and yeah, this was the first U 17 world cup that had ever happened in FIFA history. So now there's one that happens every year, but the year that I went was -hmm. the first time that FIFA had organized a U 17 world cup. So it was really special to us. We had qualified, we made it. Um, I believe we lost to Germany in the quarterfinals, um, maybe even right before that. Uh, 
I should know this, but I swear <laughs> my memory doesn't work past last week. But yeah, we it was an incredible experience. I don't think I understood it enough in the moment because I was 16 years old. So I was I had so I naturally put so much pressure on myself and football was my entire world and my entire identity that I was just putting so much pressure and stress on myself that now when I look back on that experience, I wish I could just tell my younger self to relax and have fun and enjoy the moment because you have, you know, this tremendous opportunity to represent your country. And I always felt honored in the moment. And, you know, that never escaped me. I just think that at times, you know, when you play a sport or you do something you love, you're always in this mindset of, okay, there's always tomorrow. And with my particular situation, when I had my injury and it was career ending and the surgeons told me I had to stop playing when soccer and football was immediately taken away from me, I I wished in that moment that I would enjoy, you know, these achievements that I had earlier on in my career way more and that I would just I wish I would have relaxed more. So if there's any young uh, soccer players or footballers listening to this and you're hard on yourself or, you know, you have the highest expectations of yourself, just relax and have fun. And I promise you, you'll get there quicker than if you would stressing. Life's too short, you know? So yeah, it was, it was an incredible experience and what an honor to represent your country. And I just wish... I had more time to do it. Honestly, because I feel like representing your country for one thing is just obviously an incredible achievement. But the fact that you were at a World Cup and the first World Cup, like you just said, I didn't even know that. That's crazy. That's history right there, right? Yeah, like that, that's that's, awesome. that's yeah. literally history, right? Like what's that feeling like, let's say when the anthem's being played, you're with your squad, you're with all the ladies that you kind of grinded together to make it to this point. Like, what is that feeling like for those who will obviously never experience that? Great question. Yeah, no, it was incredible. And I remember we had the World Cup opening game against New Zealand. So there was about 14 or 15,000 people there. So uh, here I am, 16-year-old girl um, and super, again, you guys know through, you know, the 10 minutes that I've been on this podcast, how much I love the sport. So here I am doing what I love, representing my country, which is the biggest honor. You know, I come from first generation immigrants. So I always felt like I wanted to do my parents extremely proud too. And mm -hmm. they immigrated to Canada uh, to start a better life for their kids. And here I am having the opportunity to play for Canada. And that meant so much to me on a deeper level than just football. So it meant everything to me and being there with the girls that trained super hard to make that squad and also represent represent their country just it meant everything. And I think when you're young, you know, um, for me personally, I don't want to speak for anyone else. It was soccer and football were the only things that mattered to me. Uh, family was first and then it was just soccer and football. So to be able to go to a World Cup and sing a national anthem and know that you're about to play New Zealand and hopefully have a good game and hopefully advance was an absolute dream come true. And then at the same time, you're also like, 
I'm really nervous, right? Like this is everything I've trained for and I hope I have a good game. And like I said, when you're that young, it feels like it's your whole world times a hundred, at least for me personally. So it was, the pressure was on for me in the sense that I better play well. I better make myself proud. I better make everyone proud. And I hope I can help this team win this game. But it was incredible. That's awesome. Was there like a certain moment that like you'll always remember, like a certain memorable moment that you have? Um, From the World Cup, funny enough, after every single game, I was drug tested. And really? It, <laughs> you were playing yeah, that nice, that, huh? I mean, it, it, was, it killed me because you know when you play 90 minutes, I... There's, you know, not much left in the tank. All the water you drank and everything that you've hydrated with, it's like you're sweating it out. Mm-hmm. So I remember after every game, they're like, it's a ra- random drug test. Every time my name was picked. <laughs> and I'm like, this isn't real. So and then you spend like three hours at the drug testing center and you're drinking like 17 or 20 bottles of water because you just finished a 90 minute World Cup game. And um yeah, it's like rinse and repeat at that point. I think it, it was every group stage game um, for sure. And I think I might have missed out on one, but I'm like, this can't be random at this point. Like, what are the odds? And if that's the case, I need to buy a lottery ticket. But oddly enough, that's probably the memory that sticks out the most. That's crazy. That's crazy. Being yeah. drug tested as a teenager? Yeah. Like, sure they're really drug testing <laughs> teenagers, bro. That's crazy. <laughs> I know. I'm I like, I promise that. I'm good. I <laughs> Yeah. Like, what are they feeding those kids in Canada? Yeah, for real. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. But yeah, obviously, a very beautiful, glittering youth career you had. Um, and kudos to you Thanks. for that. You experienced a lot of things that a lot of people won't be able to experience, a lot of young footballers. But then after your youth career, your talents took you to West Virginia, um, which is yeah. amazing. What I'm interested in is at that time, like today you have social media, you have rankings you have so many websites like how was the recruiting process at that point like for you a young girl from canada being recruited by a top division one school in west virginia like how did that happen you guys are asking such great questions honestly (laughs) like i haven't ever been i haven't ever been asked a lot of these questions so it's making me think so when we played for the for when we were training for the U17 World Cup I believe we went to Alabama in the US because we were like we need to train in hot climates we need climates we need to get prepared for qualifiers which were in Trinidad and Tobago and we were just trying to get as much training done in the heat as possible so when we went to Alabama a lot of university division 1 scouts came to watch our camps So we were fortunate enough in the sense where we didn't have to do these like scouting trips. Those scouts came to us. Mm -hmm. And then there were a lot of times where I know you guys are located in Vaughan. We were at the Ontario Soccer Association, the OSA. And these scouts, we would have things called like uh, scouting weekend, quote unquote scouting weekends, where the national team or the uh, national training center team, as we called it over there, NTC, we would play like the boys team or whatnot in these national coaches in the US, um, these university scouts would come watch us and recruit from there. But I was personally recruited from by West Virginia scouts. Uh, I believe it was at the Alabama camp. 
and for me, it was between the University of Florida and West Virginia were my last two that I was deciding between. I love Florida. I love warm weather. Uh, <laughs> I was pretty much sold on the University of Florida. Uh, but West Virginia was very special for me because uh, my parents were living in the GTA and it was a six hour drive from Oakville to uh, West Virginia. That's and if they ever wanted to come, it's not bad at all. And if they ever wanted to come see me in Florida, they would have to get on a flight. So I was very, very, very close with my family. I was 17 when I left home for university. And it was very important to me that I would, if I needed anything or if I wanted to see my parents, that I had the ability to do that. And for anyone listening who might be interested in going to the U.S., uh, it, it's it, that first year is tough in terms of being a little homesick and you know, you're all of a sudden thrown into what a division one collegiate student athlete workload looks like that. It's important to, to kind of consider the factors of what would it be like if I need to go home for a weekend or if my parents or family come visit me. So that's ultimately what helped me decide on West Virginia. And I'm very glad that I did because it was a great, uh, you know, time there playing and my parents like I keep referencing this, them on this podcast are rock stars. They made every single collegiate home game that I had, except for one game that was played at like a 3 p.m. on a Wednesday. So oh, wow. they had traveled and they did. They're, they traveled to me every single home game. And I obviously made the right decision because just having them w there with me during those games were, was probably the most amazing thing I'd witnessed as a player. Yeah. So that was my decision on on West Virginia and, and kind of ultimately how I was scouted. Awesome. Uh, how would you say your time over at West Virginia was? It was good. It was hard. It was very hard. Uh, we talk a lot about how amazing it would be to get a full ride uh, in in for young players. but And I do think it's amazing. And you have to be very grateful for when that opportunity comes. But at the same time, you work for it, right? It's a job. Uh, and we would be training anywhere between two to three times a day, six days a week, plus school. So you're playing for West Virginia. The highest rank we had when I was there was fourth in the country, Division One. So we were a very good team, very good team, very good program, worked our asses off. So uh, you're doing morning practices, go to school, come and do cardio running and then do lift and then do film. And then you go home and it's like eight or 9 PM and you have to study for your test the next day. Right. So, and you have to maintain above a 3.0 grade average. So there's a lot of factors that go into it. That isn't just football or training or lift or nutrition. There's the, there's the student side of it, which was very, very important to me too, to make sure that I was getting my grades at the highest level possible and I was taking school seriously. Uh, so it, it's tough sometimes to find that balance and it's tough to get adjusted to what collegiate football is, collegiate soccer, because it's a different playing field in the best way possible. Yeah, you go into preseason training and you have three training sessions a day and you're exhausted and you're 17 years old and you miss your parents and you, you wanna make the starting lineup and there's so many things going on. So there's a lot of adversity, but it's again an experience that I would never trade for the world because it's made me who I am. Mm -hmm. It's put me into the position 
you know, that I'm in now. And it taught me a lot of life skills. So it was tough. It was hard. It was rewarding. Uh, I have a lot of gratitude towards that experience. Um, and yeah, I'm also proud of myself because I always say, <laughs> if I could get through four or five years of collegiate soccer, I can get through anything. So yeah, go. it was great. That's awesome. But uh, <laughs> you mentioned earlier about a career ending injury for the people who don't know what exactly happened. <laughs> Yeah. <clears throat> so I, in my junior year, so my third year, I had, I remembered I turned a girl on a field and right after that, like I felt all this stuff moving around in my knee and my leg got stuck in like a deadlock extension and I fell on the field. So initially they thought I had torn my meniscus because that's a sign of a meniscus tear. But then when I went in for an MRI, what actually happened was the cartilage in my knee was deteriorating um and when they told me that i didn't really understand what that meant i'm like mm -hmm. could i play or can i play and they're like you can play so i was like okay i'm gonna keep playing <laughs> so this was probably september and season ends around december so when i went in for my next mri because my knee was so bad it got to a point where i couldn't push the pedal uh in my car i couldn't bend down to pick things up before games, I was taking, like, I don't recommend this. I was taking like five Advils before every game because I was in so much pain and I just wanted to play. Um, so I went in for that next MRI and the surgeon came out and he said, you have a little bit of cartilage left in your knee. We took it out of your knee because we're going to grow it into a lab. We need to then take off your kneecap and plant the cartilage on the back of your knee kneecap. So your kneecap back onto your leg and hope that this cartilage grows because you you have like very, very, very bad arthritis. They're like, you look like you have like an 85 year old person's knee wow. at the age of 22. That's crazy. So it was just, yeah, it was insane. And I don't know if it was just bad luck or I really don't know what to chalk it up to. It was heartbreaking to hear, but in my mind in that moment, I was like, okay, so do it. And I'll come back even stronger. Like I was absolutely guys. When I tell you, I was laser focused on soccer and football. No one could ever tell me that's not possible or, you know, you can't do it. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't run for a year and a half. So I had to redshirt my last year of collegiate soccer, which meant I would get it back the following year. So, um, yeah, I couldn't run. I couldn't do anything for a year and a half. But eventually when I could, I came back so strong. I came back probably the fittest I've ever been, the best I ever, I've ever been. I took that experience. Like when I was watching my team play in the season that I couldn't, what I did was focus every single time on the opposition and like the girl who was playing my position and mm -hmm. Uh, when she received the ball or when she had the ball, I'm like, okay, so I actually have more time on the ball than I would think I would have if I was playing. Like I really learned a lot about my position from watching it for a whole season versus playing. Uh, and that was probably one of the most valuable experiences I've had as a footballer, just the ability to realize how much you can add to your game from watching your position day in and day out. And so when I came back to the game, I felt like I would I just added another level of experience that I never had. So I was like, wow, this is all working out for me in my favor. At this time, the Rio games were coming up, the Rio Olympics. Mm -hmm. And I had some conversations with some of the national coaches about going into camps and also playing in my final year of collegiate soccer. And then 
two weeks before season and about a month or two before the camp, I blew out my knee for the last wow. time. And my surgeons were like, you can't play anymore or you'll have to walk with a cane for the rest of your life. So oh my God. I had to hang up the cleats. Yeah, yeah, it was a sad day for me. Um, but yeah, that's why I always say to the players who are playing and who have these big dreams, you know, be present and enjoy every single moment because, you know, not to be dark, but you just never know, right? Yeah. You, you got to love it and appreciate it and soak it up all as much as you can because you just don't know. Definitely. And, and touching on those injuries, obviously, you grow up playing for so many years, so many long, gruesome days, long trips, um, trying to make it to the top, so many setbacks. How do you think injuries like that affect you mentally? Because I feel like you see a lot of players being forced to retire. A notable one, I think it was today, uh, Bojan, who used to play for Barca, had to retire early due to injuries, which ultimately can lead to other things, um, of course, mentally, right? So how big do you think the mental side of football is when you're trying to make it as a top footballer? I think it's bigger than the physical side. You know, when I was going through my injury, in my mind, I'm like, okay, I can do three rehab sessions a day because I'm strong and I want to get back. And, you know, uh, it was just like, there's, the, I can get through pain. I'm built to get through pain. I have a high pain tolerance. I can get past this mentally on days where, you know, for me personally, soccer became my identity. Football became my identity. And when I didn't have it and I couldn't play it, I was in the, I was really in the dumps and you'd go to practice and you'd see players in your position. And you, you'd worry about losing your, your position or worry about, will I ever get back into form like I was prior to this injury or who am I without the sport? It, all of that weighs on you, right? So the mental side and the mental struggle of injury sometimes can be way more difficult than the physical side because uh, physical will heal in time and mental you just have to you know I believe in the law of attraction I believe in manifestation and when you're kind of in that negative headspace and you want to achieve so much but you're just not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel it can feel very heavy and very doom and gloom and it may feel like it's just impossible to get out of it and that's something I faced in my injury mm -hmm. and that's also something I faced after my injury, when I lost football, right. uh, that I have a lot of respect for any athlete in any sport when they overcome. And also, you know, if they're facing adversity, and I think that's why I had so much empathy for Cristiano Ronaldo when he was going through what he was going through, because people don't understand the mental side of things, right? Yeah, It's easy to assume, it's easy to judge, it's easy to you know expect these things out of these super famous footballers but behind the scenes you don't know what people are dealing with and it's interesting now because all of these uh, headlines are coming out about what ronaldo may have gone through mm -hmm. and you could probably understand why he was handling things the way he was handling them in and also you know maybe why he wasn't having his best performances so mental the mental side of the game is the toughest most important part of the game for sure no and i think i think we 100 agree with you um at the top level it's a bloodbath and yeah. there's so many major minor setbacks that could really take a toll on you mentally so it's amazing to see how you've been able to rebound from that 
um, which is incredible. Thanks, guys. But uh, I know we're getting uh, short on time and the call is also due to cut out soon. But we definitely have to do a part two. Um, get the rest of your story because I know your story is fantastic. But um, thank you so much for coming and chatting with us. Yeah, thank you. Oh, thank you guys. And anytime you guys want a part two, you let me know. Maybe if I make my way back to Toronto, we'll shoot an episode inside the cool studio that you guys oh, yeah. have built. Let's do it. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for, for your time and for all the great questions. Honestly, you guys made me think today about my past. And uh, again, they were really, really good questions that I really haven't been asked before. So thank you guys so much. And congratulations on 10,000 followers on TikTok. Thank you. <laughs> slowly thank growing. You. We're slowly yeah. growing up. Hopefully we get up to you one day. <laughs> no, my goodness. You guys are killing it. And I saw that someone's like uh, copying, kind of copying your content, which I know <laughs> happens on TikTok. But um, I always say that that's like... Um, a nice compliment that you guys are doing the right thing. So mm -hmm. congratulations. And I can't wait to see footy culture blow up and, you know, make sure you guys have me back on when you guys are super, super famous <laughs> and you're interviewing Messi. <laughs> we won't forget about you. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you better not. <laughs>